I always say I have the best job in the world. I get to help women unlock their limitless potential so they can have it all. If your mind is saying you can't have it all, that's fear running the show. I'm here to tell you, the only thing between you and holistic success is you. The doors to Limitless Warrior are officially open. Join Limitless Warrior. It's time to dig deep and shine bright. It's time to permanently break up with fear. If you want all the holistic success you've been dreaming of, join us. It's a 12-week program, once a week, on a Zoom for 90 minutes. Get off that hamster wheel and be the limitless woman you know you are inside. The link to save your spot is limitless-warrior.com. Join us. Women aren't born warriors. We become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week, I'm interviewing women who, through tragedy and triumph, are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Good morning, warriors. Today, we are going to take a deep breath and talk about the importance of self-regulating your nervous system. In fact, along with emotional intelligence, my guest today says we need respiratory intelligence. How we breathe is important and the key to life not feeling so hard. Living life more gently is what we're talking about today. Breathing first and the solutions will come. Putting breathing on purpose as a priority in your life is the key and it's everything I am teaching my warrior women. At the end of this podcast, we talk about a stunning statistic that really made me start thinking. How do we treat visually impaired people in our society? It opens up a larger discussion. Thank you for listening today. And if you haven't already, sign up for our email community at lizswadek.com. Okay, let's get started. But first, ladies, money is not a dirty word. It's a great word. And I'm thrilled to tell you that the Broad Network is launching the Wealthy Women Summit, or WeWo. The WeWo Summit is not your typical conference with lanyards and cold coffee. Hosted by the Broad Network on August 25th and 26th, 2022, on the Sir Winston Yacht in Long Beach, the Wealthy Women Summit is for anyone looking to expand their wealth in mind, body, health, leadership, business, and community. Join us for two impactful days where we'll dive into the concept that wealthy living is a mindset and commitment to a value of your own self-worth. You can learn more and get tickets at wewosummit.com. That's W-E-W-O summit.com. Let's talk about money and let's be wealthy women together. Okay, everyone, welcome to the show. Today, Sonia Chapnik. Sonia is a certified yoga therapist with more than three decades of training and experience in a variety of yoga disciplines. She teaches a breath-centered practice and believes in the power of slowing down as the key to health and overall well-being. 
Yoga became her lifeline over 30 years ago when she was diagnosed with a rare retinal disorder that resulted in vision loss. She credits her ongoing yoga practice for her ability to gracefully accommodate the dramatic life changes she's faced. As such, she has committed to empowering people to discover their innate sense of well-being, regardless of physical or mental health circumstances, and believes strongly in improving the accessibility of yoga. Her specialties include customized classes for older adults, people dealing with persistent pain, injury, the grief process, and programs for the visually impaired. She personalizes her approach to address individual student needs and goals along the journey toward greater well-being. She's the founder of yogagently.com, a member of the faculty of the Optimal State Yoga Therapy School, and has been featured in Healthy Aging Online Magazine and the documentary Yoga Therapy for Life. Yoga Therapy for Life, yes, please. Welcome to the show, Sonia. Hello, Liz. I'm so glad Thank to have you. you on. Today. It's amazing. I'm so happy to be here. Thank so you. So we, we had to pivot. We had to change, which is all things. This is how life is yeah. now these days. This is so life. I appreciate yeah. you. I appreciate you rescheduling with me. Okay, Sonia, I'm so excited to have you on because my new mantra is when you slow down, you speed up all you desire. That's my new mantra, Sonia. So it's perfect timing that you're coming on. So 30 years ago, you were diagnosed with a rare retinal disorder that resulted in your vision loss. Tell me about that time and how yoga became a lifeline for you. Whew. Well, that's a while back now. <laughs> it was a while back. Consider the idea, the frame of mind of being pretty new out of college. It was a couple years out of college. I was a pure, determined person to save the world. I was interested in environmentalism. I was a major in environmental biology. I got finally a job in the field that I really wanted to be in, which was environmental ecology. And I was working in the corporate field, work very diligently, moving up the corporate ladder. <laughs> And then I was having a lot of trouble with what I was doing. And, and it was a surprise to find out that I had this rare kind of eye disorder. And I mean, it's a long story to go through all the myriad of doctors and the kind of, you know, challenges okay. that brought about. What were you, ha like, what was, you were saying it was becoming a problem. What was actually happening that you were well, like? Well, what was happening was that I was in this highly monitored biology office and we were doing a lot. We had a lot of QC. I was missing that QC as in quality control. Oh, I was missing my like, metrics. That? And, okay. you know, there was a lot of things that was happening that I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was doing a really good job. You know, I really was determined to be the best at what I was doing. And it wasn't showing up on paper. And I was, you know, getting scrutinized by my employee or my employer. I come to find out, you know, as I'm kind of having this kind of work trouble and I was also having some personal trouble with a relationship and all these things were kind of accumulating. And I went to an eye doctor and, and he said, something's not quite right. And the reason I went to the eye doctor, not because I thought I was having trouble with my eyes, but I had lost a contact lens. I wear glasses for astigmatism, you know, that back then 
whatever. It was not a big deal at all. And the doctor, you know, scratching his head going, something's not quite right with your prescription. And here, let me peek at your eyes. And, and then he kind of had a red flag of like, something might really be going on with your blind spots and your retinal. There's something going on. Go see a retinal specialist and then go see a neurologist. And again, it's like this big, long, whoo. Yeah. And in the meantime, I'm going, what's happening? Yeah. So I found yoga, luckily, because a friend of mine said, hey, you know, I heard this thing about yoga that's really good for managing stress. I think you're under a lot of stress because I was freaking out. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to turn. And nobody could give me answers until, you know, months and months and months of kind of trying to sort out what's happening. I finally got a diagnosis that was, even in that time, you know, the diagnosis was, you have inverse retinopathy. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, what is that? Right. What is not inverse retinopathy? I mean, I really had no idea. And yeah. so I kind of went on my own journey of what does this mean? It got me really into health and, you know, I did vitamin therapy and I, you know, kind of was trying to be a little proactive about what's going to happen. And in right. the meantime, when I was diagnosed, they told me, you could be blind. Worst case scenario, I'm going to give you the worst case scenario. Three years, you'll be totally blind. And this, you know, I was like in my 20s and oh my uh, just my first job after working really hard and having really yucky jobs <laughs> before then. Yeah. Like the bottom of the barrel kind of jobs, you know. And then, so it took me actually quite some time to shift out of the corporate world because I then try to just manage, well, I have this great job. And even if I can't do that job, can I do another job? And human resources was actually, they were really helpful. And yet, you know, I couldn't let go of that. You know, there were so many things that I just kind of hunkered down, like, okay, I'm just going to get through this. And so that was uh, the beginning of you found yoga. And what did, at the time, what did yoga, because that's still a long time ago. So you, did you start kind of slowly, like doing, Oh yeah. and at first, what is this stupid thing? What did you think at first? Well, what's so interesting, that very first yoga class I went to that my friend suggested, and I ended up going by myself. I didn't even know anybody. And the ironic thing, and I tell this often, so I apologize if anybody's heard this one already, but I went in one week, I went to a psychiatrist that was down the street, actually from the yoga studio. And I didn't know this at the time until I went to the yoga class, but I went to a psychiatrist who told me, yeah, you're mad. Yeah. You're having a lot of trouble with what you have been dealt with. Go home and beat your pillow. (laughs) And then a few days later in the same week, I went to this yoga class and the idea of yoga, first of all, like, what am I doing? I have no idea. And then, you know, you're touching your toes and you're moving into these different positions. And even standing was kind of a new experience because I was not connected. You know, I didn't even know I was going blind. I didn't understand that, hey, 
I was very fitness oriented from the gym, like pump the iron and go home and work out really hard and then go home and smoke cigarettes. Right. It wasn't a health. It was more of a like power it out situation. And it was even more about proving that I could do more and be better as a woman in a field of mostly men. When I go to the gym, you know, I was trying to bench press more than they were. And, you know, I had a lot to prove as a young woman in a field that I thought, you know, is important for me to show up in a very powerful way, but it wasn't graceful. (laughs) It was the opposite. And really in finding yoga, even just that first yoga class, it was such an aha moment of, oh, I might not know the answers. And there are a lot of unknowns in life. And I'm okay right now. So slowing it down. And even if I didn't understand the instructions, and I wasn't really able to feel my little toe, you know, things like that. It was a shift towards connecting me into a deeper, deeper place. And I love that. I love that. Yeah. And also that granted that was a long time ago and my yoga practice has changed quite a bit over the years of learning what yoga is. Yes. And it's a constant, constant rediscovery. I Absolutely. Tell me about your experience being visually impaired in a sighted world. Like you didn't even know really that was going on with you. You didn't notice your vision was changing. Was it so subtle that you wouldn't even notice it? But, and, and how is it being visually impaired? Like we just take this for granted because it's sort of something that's a, in, it's an individual, it's a, a invisible disability, if you will, right? Like it's no one would even know. Like looking at you, I would never even know you would have any vision impairment. Correct. This is the challenge. And what I like to say is that it is a hidden disability. Vision loss and hearing loss, it kind of goes hand in hand because for a hearing impaired person, unless they're wearing big uh, hearing corrector, you know, hear, hearing aids or any kind of audible corrector. What's that word? You know, the correction for your hearing. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't know that someone couldn't hear. You certainly don't know what the level of vision is. And even though I wear glasses, these are blue light glasses to protect me from the light, you know, the blue light from the screen. I, I can't see. So my vision is it is still considered to be degenerating. Luckily, it's much slower than they ever predicted. And I do think yoga has a lot to do with that and just lifestyle choices and whatnot. But also the hidden component of it is since I can't see you and you don't know that, there's a lot of misperceptions. I feel I'm misunderstood very often. And even some of my best friends they know that I can't see, but I just forget like, oh, look over there. What do you think? Will you tell me? Will you tell me what it is that you notice? You know, even, I mean, I love my kids, you know, I'm a teen and a tween, you know, sometimes they're very, you know, confrontational or they don't understand a lot of things. They might even be like, mom, you can't do that. You can't see, you know, there's other aspects of it also, which I think is very interesting in that 
there's so many misperceptions and misunderstandings about it that sometimes I'll be standing at a, you know, a counter or a clerk or someone, and they will talk really loud as if I cannot hear because they see me with my cane because I do use a white cane. So again, there's a lot of yeah. strange things, but this is a sighted world. When you think of everything that is visual, we have our phones, we have, you know, fast paced visuals, you know, the commercials on the, the TV. You know, no, everything. Designed we, were to, like, we were texting yeah. and I'm thinking, how's she getting my text? I, I you, know, you don't, you just don't even think about it. Right. Like we, yeah. I'm, you just take for granted that you have sight. You don't think about, Oh my gosh, what would that be like to navigate the world yeah. and not have that? So it must well, be a lot of like pivoting and changing and kind of rethinking things to kind of, you know, see what you can navigate and what, what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. And everything is audible for me. I mean, I love audible books. I read a lot. Podcasts. <laughs> and podcasts. Obviously, I listen to all of your podcasts. They're amazing. And my phone talks to me. My computer talks to me. My technology skills are pretty low end at the moment as far as my learning curve, but I am learning. And there's a great facility called the Rehabilitation Center for the Blind. They do a lot of training and vocational rehab for people who are visually impaired. And, you know, it's an interesting dilemma to be in a sighted world and yet also be a visual person because before I started losing my eyesight, I mean, I, you know, my, one of my, it wasn't a second major, but one of my deep passions was photography and the visual arts. And even now I still like to take pictures, even if people's heads are cut off. It's, you know, <laughs> and, I love it. Yeah. I love that. Well, and you know, it is, it's a major, it's a major pivot, but I think you're, you've, you found a path, which brings me to my, your whole yoga therapy thing, which I'm so fascinated by. So you're a certified yoga therapist with more than three decades of training and experience. You're also the founder of Yoga Gently. So tell me what's the difference between yoga and yoga therapy? Because for me, yoga is a little bit of therapy because you're right. You have to stand still and breathe and get in these poses. And sometimes the poses are awkward and you got to stay there and just try to breathe through that. And that is some therapy for me at least, but tell me the difference between yoga and yoga therapy. Yeah. Thank you for asking the question. And I think it might be confusing and yoga therapy is an emerging field, even though it's been around <laughs> for since 1989, actually for the, the, the international association of yoga therapists, they were established in 1989. It's something that to understand yoga therapy, you must understand yoga on some level and vice versa. Yoga, when you think of it, you go to a yoga class to get a teacher training, you know, certification and to be able to teach a yoga class, 200 hours of training is required which it's not much, but it's a lot. If you think, oh, yoga therapy, compare that. 800 to 860, I've done probably more like over thousands and thousands of hours of training. I'm sure. Yoga therapy. Also, you have the option to do clinical. And so I did a clinical internship 
at a local chronic pain management center that had an integrative medical system that had yoga therapy and acupuncture and chiropractic and craniosacral and a lot of other modalities. It is the tools of yoga are therapeutic. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. And when you shift it from a group experience of, okay, let's sweat and burn it out or, you know, become more of this fitness oriented as we've taken it in the Western world, taken a very, very small component of yoga. It's much larger than than we kind of think of. And now more and more yoga classes are incorporating, you know, the deep pranayama or meditation, the breath work and the kind of mind-body connection. In yoga therapy, there's an opportunity to work individual, individually with assessment. So we take an intake, we have the process of going through what is this person coming to us for? And looking at the symptoms, there's no diagnosis because we were complementary to medicine as opposed to we're going to diagnose and try and fix the person. We view it as a holistic, and I'll use this fancy word called salutogenesis, where from a yoga therapy standpoint, we're viewing it as wholeness and wellness. And the person does not need to get fixed. They are as they are showing up and we want to enhance the life experience. And so being in that place where you can monitor kind of individually, you give a practice and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. And there's co-negotiation and this collaboration that happens between the yoga therapist and the care seeker. And that's really different. And in the clinic that I worked at, you know, the, the patients would come in for a certain amount of sessions and every session, you know, we had metrics that we looked at before and after every session. And then before and ever after every, you know, grouping of sessions, maybe it was for six weeks, maybe it's for 12 weeks. And that way you can kind of monitor where, where they started. I love it. Well, I mean, it sounds definitely like it's more of a collaboration than just when you go to class. You're, and also you're right. It's still, sometimes when you go to yoga class, it's like still the mentality of like, I'm just here to burn some calories and then I got to go. I got to call for, I got to do that. You know, we're just like going, going, like we're having this much calm and then we go, yeah. you know, but which brings, well, which brings me sorry. to my point because you were talking. Well, let's, oh, go ahead. Just one more thing about that in that a lot of times what we crave okay, I just want to get a good workout. What we crave might actually put us out of balance a little bit more. And so sometimes that's why a guide can be very helpful. You know, someone that can kind of keep you in check if, oh, these things keep happening and there's no real shift or there's kind of these cycles that we go through like, oh, I feel really energized and now I'm completely depleted and can't even function, which is a lot of times that roller coaster ride of the push to get somewhere and then to crash out. And I think the other piece of yoga therapy is we view the person not just as, you know, their 
coming as a whole person to the experience, there are five layers to the human system. We're not just talking about the physical practice of let's move in and out, up, down, up, dog, down, dog, you know, get the flow of the practice. That's only one tiny component. And if you think about yoga and one of the ancient texts called the Yoga Sutra, there are not very many actual verses that talk about the physical practice of yoga. There might only be three or four out of 195. So, and this idea that the Panchamaya model is the view that we're also looking at, which is those five layers of the human system, the physical body, the physiological experience of the breath and how the circulation works, the mental component of how does the mind and our perceptions change things, and then what are our values and our choices, and then deep down inside, what really truly brings us to what our purpose is in life. And all of those five things create a person. <laughs> and that's what we're viewing when we're talking about yoga therapy. Okay. That, that explains it. I like that much. I like that explanation. Tell me, so we talked about breath and bre the importance of breathing. For years, I was holding my breath and not taking time to breathe. I come from a long line of family breath holders just over there. And then, ah, like, I mean, my, I remember my dad doing it. So I've just recently learned to work with my breath and all that. But you say breath is one of the most important but overlooked stress management tools. Let's talk about that. Yes. Yes. Breath. We don't learn how to breathe. And I think it's really interesting, especially now we talk about emotional intelligence and, you know, that's a big buzzword now for how we're learning social behavioral experiences. What about respiratory intelligence? <laughs> I like to talk about how you breathe, the mechanics of breathing is important. We tend to only breathe short, shallow breaths. It, and this could be another whole podcast in itself, but the nervous system and the autonomic nervous system, which is that part of our central nervous system that helps us, are we gonna you know, be in that fight, flight or freeze or hold the breath? Or are we gonna be in that more relaxed, State, that parasympathetic state of you can be and receive. It's a rest and digest phase of the breath. So you've got the, you know, active component where we need that to be able to do what we're doing out in the world. And then the, you know, calm component. And now the way that Stephen Porges who is a very famous Harvard person that's a psychologist, psychiatrist. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't remember his exact title, but he's done a lot of research and incorporating this idea of the polyvagal system, which is how our nervous system relates to us socially and how we engage. And if we aren't able to breathe, then we tend to be very constricted and we might miss a lot of the experience of life and that breath is life, right? The component of breath 
where we breathe and we don't even think about it. That's the involuntary part of it. Yeah. Our lungs fill and they empty naturally. We don't have to think about that. But the beauty of us as humans is that if we are able to bring attention and consciousness to it, then it becomes a voluntary experience. So if you catch yourself holding your breath, there's a moment where you can entirely shift your experience by simply breathing with attention. And then there's all the mechanics that, are, that go along with that. You know, even in this moment, as I take a deep breath, I can, you know, be a little bit more able to relate to you and listen and be in the experience with you. And I think that if everybody was able to do that on a different level with intelligence and conscious attention, imagine how life would be. <laughs> a five-minute breath break, right, could make a big difference in your day. Yes, I've got breathing alarms set on the phone four times a day, and I started trying to avoid them, which was even funnier. I started trying to avoid my breathing alarms, so then I had to change the time, Sonia, so I wouldn't try to cheat myself out of breathing. If, if that's not the funniest thing you've ever heard, but I have definitely seen you know, the power of breathing, and, and I think a lot of women are not breathing, and I think that's why we can't like regulate ourselves all the time and why we go into all this wine business. Like, oh, it's 1.30, wine <laughs> o'clock, because we haven't breathed all day. And so we need something to calm us down and take us, Jeez. take the edge off. And so we go to the wine where really we probably just need some breathing. Like that's really what we need. So it's, it's, it's a wild thing. You're right. It really is something that's so restorative. And also I always make a joke to my friends, like, let's, let's take a three deep breaths. It's like going to a spa because it, it really does feel like that sometimes. It really, yeah. really does. Yeah. It's so powerful. And honestly, when you're talking about women, cause you're, you know, you're all about women and women's empowerment and women's health heart, you know, this is heart health month, <laughs> the heart and the lungs are very closely related. And so to be able to be in that place where you're getting those long, steady breaths without, you know, short, shallow breathing, it can do a lot of good for your heart health too. So I think that, yeah. you know, that goes together. Hand in hand, yes. So you believe in empowered health and well-being, and you teach people to self-regulate. Let's talk about why it's so important to be empowered about our health, because we were just talking about how you know, you can't just like burn it at the gym and give it 30 minutes and then go, you know, go do your cigarette. You know, it, and I think there's a lot of women who are, again, you know, maybe they meditate in the morning, maybe they got a kale salad for lunch, and then it just goes off the deep end. It's like they start off kind of okay, but then it just goes super left. So why is it important to be empowered about our health and well-being? I think the most important part is this time is now, right? This is the body you have. This is the moment that you have. And surrendering that power to somebody else, it's important. Allopathy or, you know, the medical system, we need it. If you break your arm, you got to go to the hospital, right? If you have cancer, you want to have some kind of support in helping get through that. Or if you choose to not be your own advocate, then the lifestyle choices start to build on 
that load, we call it the allostatic load, but how stress affects life, how your food choices, the idea of you are what you eat, you know, are you going to grab whatever that carb, (laughs) you know, so it becomes this way you're going to just take a pill and let someone else tell you how to be. I mean, for me, if I'd have believed that those doctors said, Hey, in in three years, you're going to be blind and believing it took some time for me to say, wait a second, how do they know that? (laughs) How does anybody know with any diagnosis, what is going to be the ultimate outcome? Nobody knows that. And to have you yourself participate in your own health and well-being allows for your state of well-being to be a little bit better because then you can make those choices and you can even collaborate with your doctor and have you be a part of that. But, you know, again, it's part of some of our challenges in the medical field is that, you know, the doctors don't have enough time and the nurses are overworked and, And so it might even be better to have the support of a yoga therapist and a group of people that support you and your health and well-being. Absolutely. And I think now more than ever, women are learning they got to collaborate with their doctor and that, you know, you shouldn't just listen to just whatever the doctor is saying. There's what the doctor is saying, but then it's also how you're feeling in your body. And maybe that answer doesn't seem right for you. So maybe you need to look around for some other modalities or not, not do what he's saying to do, but maybe you're also going to, in addition, do yoga therapy or see a therapist or, you know, what yeah. all the whole picture and collaborate in your full expression, you know, of your health. So I think it's, yeah. I think we've, I think we've learned that a little bit and hopefully we're going to learn it even more. I agree. And even that idea of, you know, it takes a village. Well, it does take, you know, some accountability partners and some communication with your friends and kind of settling in and listening to your own inner wisdom too. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. Tell me, how can people work with you and what kind of things are you offering for people to work with you? Yoga Gently. You can join Yoga Gently, yogagently.com. You can follow on Facebook, Instagram, join the community. And, you know, in yoga, we talk about this word called Sangha, which is the Sanskrit word for community, community of like-minded people. And like we were just talking about, you know, having those accountability partners and having a sounding board and being supportive. So following me there. And then I teach one-on-one. I have several group classes. Occasionally I'll do these focus groups. And then I've got a a workshop coming up. It's a three-part series called Rest Gently that talks about sleep hygiene and what it means to be able to rest and kind of embrace a different phase of, you know, yes, you want to move and you want to breathe, And you want to pause and be in that place of kind of moderating life through all of those aspects. And then I have a really amazing, I I guess you would call it an immersion in October. So I know it's pretty far down the road, but through the Optimal State Yoga Therapy School, I'll be doing a two-part immersion that will be all about yoga nidra and that guided meditation and why. It's so important and there'll be 
a four month journey. So those are the things that are in the works for this year. Okay, well, we'll put all the links in the show notes so people can get involved and follow along. Let's do the speed round. It's time for the speed round. It's party time. Uh, (laughs) What does it mean to you to be a warrior woman? I am a, I am a warrior woman because I choose breath first and the solution of rest and being a breath warrior (laughs) that you know, life doesn't have to be a fight and that I'm able to move through life gently and I help others do the same, finding their way into regulation and helping support their own nervous system. And it's a joy and a real passion and a pleasure to be able to do that. That was so well said, and you just named the podcast, so thank you so much. What is a mantra or quote you live by? Again, there's so many, but breath first, but also the idea that take nothing personally. And this is so important as a mom, oh my <laughs> as God. a wife, <laughs> as a, you know, a, you know, I work with other people and you know, it's important. And even all those four agreements by Paul Miguel Ruiz, you know, the four agreements, but I think that's number one. I love it. What makes you feel unstoppable? I am unstoppable when I am in nature. I feel unstoppable when bike riding, you, you know, tandem bike, I'm on the back. <laughs> I'm when, so happy you uh, do that. That's amazing. That's so brave. Yeah, I, that. I would, they be, have, that would freak oh, me out if I couldn't see you and then doing that. So good for you. Yeah. There's four person bikes called the Surrey bike. I feel oh, I love those. Yes. Yeah. When I'm skiing, I tried skiing for the very first time many years ago as a blind person, you know, I never thought I would ski. And so the idea that to be out in nature. I still am very connected to the environment and I love doing that with my family and with friends and in the community that again, it's something that's really powerful to share and nature is like yoga. (laughs) It is a yoga experience. If you go out in nature and listen and as a visually impaired person, sometimes I can't drive myself to places. I walk to places and I hear things and I feel things. And when I am able to do, that's what helps me feel unstoppable. I love that. I thought you were going to say what my friend and I forget what episode it was, but my friend Paige Nolan came on here and I said, what makes you feel unstoppable? And she said, stopping. <laughs> I and I too. was like, <laughs> that was when I was still maybe not breathing. And I was like, huh. You know, like I was like, you mean you're supposed to stop? And she, you know, and she was like, I took, I take pauses, you know, I, I, and I was like, wow. So like, I thought you might say that too. What are you most proud of? I am most proud of being a blind woman working as a mom and as a yoga therapist in an emerging field. I have so much gratitude for being able to do what I love and help people and considering 
70% of all visually impaired and blind people do not work. They're not part of the workforce. I feel very lucky and I'm very, very proud to do that. And to also be an example so that my girls can also witness that if, if I, you know, have some challenges, it doesn't prevent me from being a part of, you know, being in the world and contributing to the world. Yeah, you're setting a great example for your kids about just mm -hmm. being out there and trying things and working and not just laying down and saying, oh, well, this is what happened, so I'm just going to stop my life. But that's a stunning, what did you say? What was that statistic? How many, what's the percent? 70%. 70%. 70% of visually impaired people are not in the workforce? Mm -hmm. And what would you attribute that to besides, I would say, the obvious, which is just, I don't know what I, I don't know what to do, or, or I, you know, is it because we live such in a, in such a sighted world that we don't make enough accommodations? What would you say? I what mean, I that think to? that might be part of it. Yes. And also, what are the opportunities? There, there may not be opportunities, and then there may not be the collaboration that's required now the group that i had mentioned earlier you know there are there is vocational training and there is a lot of support for visually impaired and blind people but maybe not enough <laughs> maybe not enough yes what's exciting you the most right now being here with you is really exciting and just i'm, I'm so happy to meet you and to be a part of this and have this exchange with you and it's just, it's very exciting. And to, to do the work I love, I am excited about that. Well, you are a warrior woman for sure. I want to ask you one more question because we talked about this a little bit, but I, now I have to hear this from you too. When you talk about living gently, because I love what you said, I'm a breath warrior. Life doesn't have to be a fight. Live gently. Tell me, t let's talk about living gently. What does that look like in actuality? Like if you could give women like some advice on how to live a little bit more gently, what would you say? I think pauses are important and slowing down, like what you even began the podcast with, slowing down can actually speed what you want to have unfold in your life. That process might be helped. There's an opportunity when you're able to welcome silence, <laughs> it might be a scary word for some people, and stillness doesn't have to be all the time. I mean, I think there's also a misconception about, oh, I have to meditate and sit for 20 minutes or an hour and I can't move. No, it's really about simply being, allowing for what is with acceptance, and again, not trying to bump up against what you don't like, but maybe move through it, like riding the waves, <laughs> ride the waves. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, yeah. Sonia, and telling us about what you do in the world and how you're making a difference, but also teaching us to live a little more gently. So thank you for coming on today. It was my honor to have you. Thank you. And thank you for all the work you're doing. I love everything you're doing. And I am happy and proud to be a part of the Warrior Woman experience. Yes, you are. You're part of it now. Now you're in my little circle. Now you're trapped with me.
Great. Yay. Um, <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Sonia. All right. Thank you for joining me today, everyone. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye now. <laughs>